I've been pulled over about 800 times. <laughs> Unbelievable. It's people in shops that are reporting me or drivers, other drivers reporting me, like jumping in and out of the car, like wobbling and out. Like, obviously, you think that he's drinking. Like, sure, I remember this time too, in a Garvey's pub <laughs> outside, and um, it's in Galway there. And it's like a scene out of CIS Miami. A girl came up, pulled up in front of me. Two other cars behind, stopping traffic. And they come up talking to me then, and they say, are oh, you drunk, you drunk? And I, I always say, because I try to bring a bit of humour into it, no, 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 I'm locked. And then they search me, and they, they no drink, they didn't do the breathalyzer, didn't do the drug test. And, but then I showed them the car. Then. The car, domestic car, I have a business car, I showed it to them and said, this is what I do. And some cops might have heard of it, but the, early enough they didn't hear it because I didn't have it. Like, <laughs> oh, it's, that was funny. Shane Mullins is a motivational speaker. He travels around the country giving talks on mental health and his self-help system, Demess, to groups of young people. This morning, he's at Galway Technical Institute, or GTI, talking to a group of students. Well, before I get on to the actual system today, I'm going to be talking about mental health, drink driving awareness and... More importantly, a fight back and a comeback like no other person coming back from Anton. On the 16th of October 2005, in Abinock Moy, County Galway, Shane drove drunk and crashed his car. For the past seven years, he's been living with the brain injury he sustained that night. So, I'm Shane Mullins, I'm 25 years old. I'm from Munave, a little town or village out in Galway there. It's like home and away where everyone knows your name. <laughs> There's seven people in my family. I was the, I am the oldest and was the boldest, and that's all changed. Thanks for the God. Shane left school at 14, and with the building boom in full swing, he took up block laying. Life was all about living it up. I love going out. I love like working during the weekend, partying hard at the weekend, and trying to keep my cursing under control today. Cause <laughs> so it's wild. I was going out. I had no worries in the world and nothing. And that was, that was a disaster for me, you know. Today, Shane's plan is to build a business around public speaking and self-help. Each letter of Demes stands for a particular pillar in his system. Now I'm going to break Demes down for you, and this is what Demes means. It means determination, motivation, emotional, support and social life. And together to make Demes. So it's the mess I got myself into and the mess I can put myself out of using that system to prove to work. Because I'm here today giving a talk and I've been all over the country and it proves to work. This system proves to work and I guarantee it does. In his talks, Shane takes everyone through what happened to him on that night. The truth, however, is that he's never properly confronted the accident and its aftermath. Over the course of a week in May, Shane set out to ask questions that he's avoided asking for the past seven years. This is where I do most of my training then. So it gets me away from everyone in the house. I can, you know, it takes out my anger, keeps controlling my temper because I can get angry sometimes, you know. And I've and noticed that I'm getting a lot more angry lately. Shane has set up a punching bag in an outhouse on the farm in Monavay where he lives with his mother and father, his two brothers and two sisters. I just practice here like all the time, like, you know, I jump up, jump down, jump up, 
touch the ceiling and just do boxing around here like that and start moving around and all this and start placing my feet even better like. Shane's mother Rose remembers the night of the accident. Yeah, well, I, suppose I wasn't aware that Shane was was drinking and driving at the time. You know, I wasn't really aware that. But of course, it couldn't have gone on for long because obviously only had the car about five months. Do you know? So um, I wasn't aware of the extent. Maybe that it's only afterwards I found out that he, maybe he was doing it a lot more than what I thought. On the night in question, it was. I mean, I would. I would always have put holy water on the car and on him before he'd ever leave the house, and that was always a done thing. And it, you know, he used to actually come to me looking for it, even though I'd run around the house after him, dousing him with holy water. He'd come to me at the end saying, "But you know, where's the holy water?" So at that night in question, um, I suppose I was trying. Shane is sort of thinks that I was trying to hide the keys that night, and. I was aware he was going to a house party. And uh, I remember um, me going up to the bath upstairs and um, him shouting up something about the holy water, but I was getting into the bath. And that was the end of... And then he went to the house party and that's when the accident happened then after that. Just take another drop off, yeah. Yeah, so... Shane's friend, Yvonne Moran, was also at the party that night. There was a gang of us that always, always hung out together every evening. And Shane was a lunatic. Um, we climbed trees, everything like that growing up in the country. But Shane just took it too far. <laughs> really terrified of sometimes. You remember up in the... In the yeah, yeah. I remember I was out in, the, out in her backyard. We climbed a tree and I jumped off and I broke my arm. Yeah, he'd yeah. literally jump from tree to tree. Yeah. Yeah, at some height. But that's the kind of way it was, all hanging out. We were dying to turn 18. Um, I wasn't drinking that night. I was actually waiting on a lift up to Atlone. I was in college up in Atlone at the time. And um, Shane had a few... Shane was there, he had a few drinks in him, a good few drinks in him. And next thing there was a commotion to get the keys off him. And they succeeded and they got the keys off him. And we kind of relaxed in. And he just wasn't listening to anybody. He wanted the keys and that was it. Afterwards, nobody was really sure how it happened. But somehow, Shane managed to get hold of the keys and locked himself and his friend Eamon into the car. Off he went out the driveway, swerving. I thought he was going to hit another car. And he was gone, up to the pub. And I had asked somebody to give me a lift up the pub go after him because I didn't have a car with me but they said he was fine, leave him, he's fine, he's fine so I rang you, spoke to you when you were in the pub you probably don't remember any of that but yeah, I rang you and you told me that you got up to the pub, you were like everything's fine, at the pub, having a drinks, getting last orders in and that's the last time I spoke to you until well, a few weeks later when you woke up I suppose Shane is driving back to the scene of the accident for the first time since it happened and I came down here after the house where they tried to stop me and then I came down here myself and another friend that was with me and we went into the pub with about well, two or three more pints because remember we were just 18 at the time I was able to get served like and um, so I came outside I remember after and myself and Ian were talking over the car like and I remember hopped in the car and that's all then I have a complete blank after that then but I came up with a lot of stories then 
that a dog ran in front of me, someone did this to me, and I don't know, but actually it was my own fault, like, what I did, like. But that's just the route I took then, and afterwards I can bring you up now to the crash site. That's where I, everything went horribly wrong for me. In 2012, 162 people died in car accidents in Ireland. But nearly 40 times that number, close on 6,400 people were injured. Many of these, like Shane, must live with the consequences of those accidents for the rest of their lives. So I remember I pulled out here. We were chatting away, my seven-year man. Like. And at this stage now, I was well hammered. Like my head pushed nearly up top of the window screen. My hands wrapped around the steering wheel. And it was only going very easy. But that's when I... Just go in here. No. I think it was there somewhere. This is where the car hit the ditch. Over there, like. And the car hit the ditch there and toppled over, and you know, it's where we all changed now with farmers. Old pillars lying in the field, and that hit the roof. So, it was in there, like. And it was there to hit the ditch, I think. I never stopped here before in my life. You know, not in my life in the last seven years. I never stopped here, like. Never really had a look at it or not. Just forgot about it completely. Well, that's the way I didn't want to know about my car crash. I didn't want to know about my brain injury. One of the lads, I can't even remember which one it was, but someone in our group, anyway, got a phone call from Eamon, the passenger of the car, saying that... Shane was after crashing outside this particular house. So two cars went down to exactly where the car was meant to be and there was nothing there. And I was angry. I thought, what kind of a joke is that to play? There was no sign of Anton on the road. And um, next thing, when the lad shouted over, there he is, there it is. And it was just in the middle of the field, Shane's car. And it was quite banged up and stuff. And Lucy ran down first. And he said that your head... Am I going into too much detail here? No. No. No, I'd like to know this one. So I don't know, Ant. I'd never talked to one of my friends about this ever. And I'd like to know myself. Okay, well... Lucy got to the car first. Lucy's David looking and he's in Australia. Lucy got to the car first and he said that your head was just smashed up against the window. And he managed to pull open the door and he pulled you out. And then I got there and seen you, and you were just, you were unconscious. I knew you were in a bad way. Even you're the scariest thing, apart from all the blood, was your, your breathing. You, you weren't breathing properly. You were really having difficulty. And I was afraid of that. Even though it sounded bad, I thought it was going to stop. I thought you were just going to stop breathing. So I rang the ambulance. Well, Lucy told me to keep your head up. So I was kneeling on the ground, and your head was on my lap but your head actually slipped onto my lap because you had a nasty gash in your head yeah, that just had yeah, so yeah. much blood, yeah, just, your head just slipped, there was just blood. The ambulance, you, had, you were bleeding out your ears <coughs> and there was quite a lot of blood out your mouth, coming out your mouth, and 
the guy, the paramedic on the phone, told me to keep my fingers in your mouth to keep the airway open so you could breathe properly because of the blood. So that's what I was doing. And the rest of them kind of came down for a minute and just went back to the road waiting for the ambulance because they just didn't want to see you that way. Um, you felt different as well. You, you just, you felt, you felt different. Eventually, the area's designated first responders arrived on the scene. Um, yeah, and then, they, you know, they, they did their thing. They put the, the sheet, the, you know, you know, the silver sheet film thing over them to keep them warm. And the rest of the lads were told to put their jackets on you, so the jackets on you, and we were waiting for the ambulance. And then before the ambulance came, the guard called. The guard came down and trying to establish what happened and that kind of stuff. In the meantime, I was still, until the paramedics lifted you onto the stretcher, I was, you were still on my lap. And that's, that's basically what happened there. Yvonne, together with the rest of Shane's friends, including Eamon, who walked from the car uninjured, then followed the ambulance into University Hospital Galway. The rest of the lads were in the corner, kind of joking and stuff like that. Most of them weren't really around for it. They just, they just headed in. And I was just standing at the door, staring at the doors. And this lovely couple came up to me and asked me to sit down because I was just standing there in a daze, like, and they offered me a cup of tea and stuff and asked me what happened and that. Then your mum came, your poor mum. Yeah. Half past about, I think it was one o'clock in the morning, one o'clock in the morning, uh, my mobile rang. And it was actually Shane's friend that rang me um, initially. And to this day, when I hear that mobile ring, it stops me in my tracks. I don't have the, the that tone on my phone now. But when I when I do hear that phone, if I was in a shop and I heard that tone, it would freeze me on the spot, that actual tone on the phone. And I knew when she said, because um, the kids would have been small at that time, young, a bit younger, obviously all eight years younger than they are now, because it's coming up to eight years. And um, I remember saying, um, sure, uh, John can stay there and mind the other kids. And they said, no, he, he'd need to come. And then I knew that maybe it's not worse than what, we, what I thought. Two days when I was in the coma, I had no brain activity in my head for two solid days. So my, mo- my mother and my family were asked to prepare for the worst and will you donate Shane's organs? And I'm glad they didn't. They're glad they didn't go that far, you know, because <laughs> the organs did come in handy later on in life. <laughs> Shane's father, John, remembers arriving into the hospital in the early hours of the morning. The doctor came out to us saying they had him sedated, you know, um, to stop the swelling getting worse. Mm-hmm. And it was looking very bad. So a black mess, he said there, so it's not looking good. He couldn't tell us how he'd come out or, or will he come out. Or. That was before we got to see him. But then I remember the, the chaplain at the time coming in to talk to me, so I sort of felt fear the worst then at that stage. Like I said, there was a big group of people yeah. at the hospital and they were all in the corner kind of having a laugh and stuff, but I was in my own little world. And it's only when we got word back that you were brain dead, that the rest of the lads broke down and then it kind of hit them that this isn't just a little accident. Like, they kind of, mm. it hit them that it was serious. So when we were told that, we were basically told that it was just a matter of time, basically. In his talks, Shane puts up pictures of his old life. At five foot ten and stocky, 
He used to play a lot of rugby. See me there in the back row, the big red head in me. I look like a walking traffic light. But that's me. I won. We won 50 games that unbeaten. Like that's why it stays in my head. We went to Mosney, the All Ireland Mosney. I don't know if it's still there. We went there and we won. So, and that's me holding the cups again. Jesus, I look off innocent, but, <laughs> but that's me in a way, holding cups that never happen again, but I found something else in my life. Once he arrived at the hospital, Shane was seen by Professor of Surgery, Oliver McEnena. It's great to see you. Great to see you, in a different circumstance, exactly. Uh-uh. Well, he'd suffered a, a very devastating head injury whereby he was completely unconscious and we rate levels of consciousness on a certain scale called, called the Glasgow Coma Scale. And if all of us here in the room are, have a Glasgow Coma Scale of 15 um, and uh, when you're essentially moribund or as close to death as, as possible, it, you're three or less and uh, he was four. So that's how, how bad he was, you know. So his initial management involved the, the hard work of the ambulance corps to make sure you stayed alive when you had the injury. And then when you came in here was uh, our uh, emergency services, accident and emergency unit and the intensive care people to ensure that your lungs were, and your heart were protected and uh, so that you could get oxygen because your brain won't survive without oxygen. So we take it step by step, and um, all of that was done in a timely fashion, and he was brought up to the intensive care unit after having had a full scan and everything else done to determine the severity of the injuries. And um, the injuries were pretty pretty devastating. That was hard as well, because we were told that, um, that if you woke up, you were just going to be a vegetable. And then it was kind of difficult thing to cross your mind is maybe in that case you'd be better off just dying than being a vegetable mm. so it's just something when you think even the night before the accident we were all out at a 21st do you know that yeah and then it down wasn't it yeah and then it down yeah just kind of thinking back we had crack that night yeah i remember and then it down yeah we went in we were allowed in to the icu to say goodbye to him that's how extreme the situation was you no know, loads of us large groups went in to say say your goodbyes and stuff like that and that was horrible because he was just lying there with wires and everything and you know not much <laughs> he didn't look very graceful either I suppose <laughs> with all the tubes and stuff and you were swollen your arms were swollen and stuff yeah well it's just I put my my hand yeah. on your arm to you know yeah. chat into you or whatever and it was just didn't feel like a human arm. It just felt... Deadly. Yeah. Back in GTI, Shane takes questions from the audience. Um, you mentioned that, like, you were involved in sports and you referred to yourself as, like, an innocent young lad or whatever. Um, but, like, do you think that it was, like, say, when you went to school that you were, like, associating with the wrong kind of people or was it yeah. just... I would say, like... I, wa- I was one of the wrong people, like, you know. <laughs> you know, I was wrong. It's not been funny. I was wrong the wrong people, like, I, like oh, jeez, I'm in, I'm in trouble. But 
wrecked the bike guards, spinned it. Before, before I got expelled, I was spinned 14 times from school. As Shane's friends lined up in pairs outside the ICU to say goodbye to him, Shane began fighting his way up out of the coma. He could move his foot a bit in. And um, then they decided to take him off the sedation that they had him in and... See how it reacted. I don't know what day that was, but he actually said dead when he, when he opened his, his sight on one eye. But he still didn't know anything about You don't even remember that. No. No. But then you're wondering, what's he going to come back like? Would he want to be like the way he is? We hadn't a clue. A lot of things were going through your mind. Yeah, Would I remember he... coming down on the bed from ICU into the ward and John was there as well. And I just said to John, I wish I was dead. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. Mm. He was very, he had, he had a little bit of movement, very little. And his left side wasn't moving at all. His right side. At the right side, yeah, sorry. Right. His right side had no move at all at this stage. But he had a little bit on the left side. And his one eye then, well, the two eyes, he was nearly blind, like, at that time. And they weren't sure would he get any sight back. He kind of had a bit of sight, all right, and one, but it still would die. See, that would stay either, because it was getting worse. I remember his sisters coming in because... Shane, as you can see, has two different colour eyes. And John lost his sister himself in a car accident. And she has the exact same eyes as Shane. Yeah, he used to say, he's lovely eye, you were saying. But we, he didn't lose and I remember sight. crying and saying, he's going to lose his lovely eyes. He's going to be, who will get his lovely, eye, his lovely eyes? Oh, I remember you saying that, yeah. So... Though they managed to save both of Shane's eyes, he can no longer see out of the left eye. The tear duct now, when I cry, it's only out one eye, so it's good for a recession, you know? I only need a half a tissue. <laughs> so, the tear duct is turned, the tear duct is turned in in my eye, to keep it moist. When it became clear that he would live, Shane's extended family was mobilised and a 24-hour rota was drawn up. I used to win early morning and then John would take over in the evening and then family would do during the night then. And sometimes I'd go in earlier, it depended on he'd be meeting one for exercise and you'd have to see what's been done. Eventually he was able to put on his stocking and he was able to put on his jumper. It took me 22 minutes to put on a jumper. Yeah. I can, remember the time, I can remember the time because the time it like... That's cruel, it was uh, cruel. It's cruel because, it's cruel you see, you want, to, you want to put it on for him. Because you hate looking at him struggling yeah. trying to put on a jumper because he had to learn how to put on his clothes all over again, mm. you know. And you want, you, as a mother, you want to just, you know, go and put it on for him, but you have to step back and let him learn it all for himself again, you know. And he was quite determined. I don't know how he done it, but he did get through it. The D in Demes stands for determination. Determination to get help, to move on. And it was not easy to start. It was not easy to start because I have my mother doing everything for me in hospital. And my father was great as well, doing exercise with me. Like, he'd come in at 9 o'clock at night and I used to love to see him coming and hate to see him coming because he used to get me up inside the bed and do exercise with my right hand. I remember I couldn't grab anything. He used to do this movement with me. 
and then we gradually went from cones like this here. That's what we used to do. Lift it to the other side of the table. And that was my night, you know. <laughs> Very exciting. But um, that's what we used to do. But then my relations as well. I have a massive family, about a hundred first cousins. We breed like rabbits down our side of the country, <laughs> I'm telling you. After three months in hospital in Galway, it was time for Shane to move on. He was assessed and offered a place at the National Rehabilitation Hospital in Dunleary. Shane is back at the NRH to meet some of the people who helped him during that stage of his recovery. Orla McAvoy was his occupational therapist throughout his stay. And I have a, an idea that will help people with brain injuries is Scrabble on the iPad. Okay. Yeah, that would be good for concentration. It's and absolutely for... unreal, Orla. Oh, don't test me on it now. I'm not going to No, no, no. I'm just going to show you. Like... <laughs> a lot of the things we were trying to do with you at the time, your brain wouldn't even focus to stay at them for like five or ten minutes and you'd... Your brain would just get overloaded and you'd have to stop and go away from it. Yeah. And it's very hard for you to engage with anything, really. We'd have to encourage you and, and sit with you and redirect you back when you get distracted. He'd have done a lot then of maybe um, thinking exercises. We'd have been helping you sit down and say, Shane, today we're just going to concentrate on this for 10 minutes. And yesterday you might have concentrated for five minutes and just try and work. And it's sort of the same way as you'd exercise your hand. We were trying mm. to help you exercise your brain. So we'd have given you maybe some tasks yeah. for you to practice your independence. Yeah, going shopping around there to go after a person, if I remember. <laughs> I think I got a carrot for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so that 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 would have been a part of Shane's program, and I I'd say we did some work in the kitchen as well. Yeah, we did. I, I can't I can't remember what we made now, but brown bread, but mine was full of eggshells. You know, you crack eggs in it. <laughs> yeah, mine was full of eggshells, but. And physically, you made huge leaps and bounds as an inpatient yeah. in your mobility, and you left using a, a stick when you were leaving. Yeah, I left using a crutch. Yeah, yeah. So there were huge, huge changes, and your concentration got much better that you were able to en engage in things for a bit longer. And I'd say a lot of the, the confidence building and stuff then happens at home. Did you notice bigger changes when you went home? Oh, yeah, that's what I said in my talks. Problems really started when I left hospital, yeah. and it's a fact. Their mind physical, their mind anything else. Just a whole lot of changes happened when I left hospital. Mm. Just I was the oldest in the family, down to the baby. Everyone looking after me. I did not like that, mm. you know, and that got me down. But I knew the reason was because I was stupid. I didn't care for my own fault. Like. So I couldn't really blame anyone. Like, it was all my own fault. Like. Back home on the farm, Shane tried to get back to normal. Shane had ever been back to the life he had, you know, and he, Shane was a great sportsman and, you know, he was into a lot of sports and that's never going to be for Shane again. Well, like. Farming. And, and then, of course, he that. was farming with his dad and it's not it's not safe for Shane to be on the farm now, you know. He can do some things, but, you know, the way farming is so, you know, a lot of accidents happen on the farm and with Shane's balance, it's not safe for him to be on the farm. You know. No, he came out with me when he was improving a bit and he went to catch a block and slipped up his hand and hurt, skinned all his hand and and then he, he'd be trying to block a cow yeah. and he'd fall and it was hurting him, it was hurting for me to look at him. 
I know, it's, it's hard in my family. I used to do everything up in that farm with them. I'd like, be around dead. It was eight days in a week, I'd say I'd be around them. Like, you know, because I left school early, up early in the morning, doing everything, going to farm in the morning, farm in the evening, mm -hmm. go train in the evening. It was hard in my as well, like, as well. As the full reality of brain injury began to weigh him down, Shane looked for a way to escape it. Straight away after my accident, I, I was drinking before I was eating, you know. And it was bad, like, for me, with a brain injury and drink, don't mix, because I'd be drunk at one point, and that's serious, like, that's, that's the truth. I would be absolutely locked at one point. That was the worst of the worst. We tell his friends to watch him, but what to do with buying drink? And Shane would throw them back. Because I was watching him one night and he was drinking a lot more than he was saying. But he he couldn't, eventually, he wasn't able to move to the toilet or anything. So he, he would actually wet himself mm. in the in the pub. And then we'd get the phone call. And he'd get abusive now and again as well to people around him or start drinking their drink. And I uh, witnessed it a few times and I found that worse than any of the hospital. Because mm. I was trying to be cool and standing behind him to get him out and then he start grabbing someone pint like that and he'll try and drink it and I'd have to try and take it off him and put him down and he was strong enough and eventually I'd have to wait till he had something not in his hand and actually carry him over the pub. Literally pick him up and I wouldn't even want to open the door. I tried with one hand and open the door myself. And I've given out to him then but Eventually, I copped on and said, a waste of time giving out to this lad, talk to him in the morning. Do you know, because he was completely out of it. And he wouldn't remember a thing. <laughs> and I threatened to video him, but I never would. So I was wrong. I was lying to myself the whole time. I was lying to myself. And, you know, I fell into deep and dark depression. And that's a fact. When it all got too much... Shane was admitted to the psychiatric wing of Portiuncula Hospital, where he met consultant psychiatrist Dr Anne Jeffers. When you came first, you were, you were just very depressed. Exactly. Uh, I think that was your first experience of depression. Mm, exactly. I didn't um, know I was depressed all the time. And I didn't know, I didn't really know about my injury until I went to Bannister, really. That's when I started thinking really about it. I remember that time Shane was still drinking mm. at that, that first admission. Um, and we know that alcohol can be associated with depression. And um, even though a lot of people f find it, it can seem to help initially, it certainly makes depression worse. And I think that, that was the experience you had, Shane. Yeah, it definitely had. Yeah. Shane's experience of counselling inspired him to develop his own system, Demess, which is designed to help young people face and fight their own demons. The E stands for emotion and the S for support. So back to the talk again. I went to so the medicine and the counselling. I finally accepted that and that was hard for me. You know, that was hard for young lads to accept that because I thought I was a hard man. Like I was going to do this on my own. Did you go away? Like, what do I need any help for? <laughs> you know? But I do, like, and I did, and I finally accepted help, and I finally moved on. And the only person, like, accepting help as well is you have to realise you need the help. And that's a fact. You have to realise you need the help. 
first before you can reach out for help you have to realize yourself and that's a fact so real if any of you are not saying any of problems i'm not saying that at all but i'm saying if you have you have to realize yourself first you have a problem then go get the help stop looking at other people to do it for you Stop looking at your mothers and your fathers or anyone else. Man, would you do this for me? Man, would you do that for me? Look at yourselves. Like, do it yourselves. Do it for yourselves. And finally, accepting brain injuries for life, and that's a fact. It is for life. It's not just, I said it before, it's not just for the weekend. It's not just for two days. It's for the rest of your lives. Right? It's, and what's wrong with me is I won't give up. I have a notion of giving up. I'm not a pussy, and neither either <laughs> you here, here today, afraid of your lies. Do not be that. Do not. Now, Shane had only one aim in mind, getting off drink. He got a place on the rehabilitative training unit back in the National Rehab Hospital, where Anne-Marie MacDonnell was his caseworker. I was good old crack. I enjoyed yeah. up here, and yeah, and he came down to us to kind of work on getting back into his own life and routine again. So he's looking at return to driving and exploring kind of educational and possibly vocational options and addressing cognitive deficits. Um, the difficulty was, I suppose, for Shane was that he. <laughs> had really good, I said, awareness. He knew what his difficulties were. He'd been through the inpatient programme. But he kind of got into a stage where, for want of a better phrase, he was kind of sick and tired of living with his brain injury. Mm-hmm. The reality was really overwhelming him. And when it did, Shane turned again to alcohol. During his programme, and I said, it's something that, you know, we would often see. It's just, I say, he's a young guy. He's trying to deal with reality. It can be very overwhelming. You know, Shane knows that brain injury is a lifelong um, you know, something that he has to deal mm. with on a lifelong basis. And I think, as I say, when that denial was going on, that was kind of your escape route, really, Shane, wasn't it? So you wasn't really during the day here, it was more the evening, like. And so you're allowed out in the evenings for a while, like. And I get absolutely locked. There's a few times that happened, like. She had to give up to me, and she had to tell me, like, to write down a written warrant, three written warrants, and then you have to go, like. Yeah. You have to, like, because... I'm not applying to Rosie. Yeah. And I said to Rose, I want to go back up again. Why do you want to go back up there? I can eat you again for And I just said to her, I need to go back up there. I need to go back up there. Why? why? And I said, I need to. I'm back up there again. And Emery, thanks to Emery, she got me back on. And she let me back on. So thank her very much for that. And I got off the ring and then back to real life. That's where work started. Like, as I said, to get you ready here for real life because you're not going to be here all your life. Like, it's up to you to do it. Like. And I did do it. Just stayed focused. By staying focused, Shane has stayed off drink and put all his energy into Demes. The last S stands for social life. I can go out now to pubs and not drink for three years, but that's not three years, about two years, seven months. I haven't drank and I don't drink and I don't want to drink. So now at the moment I'm on a darts team and if one eyed lad hits a double, you know. <laughs> So I'm on a Darcy team, we're finished now at the moment, we're starting again next year. So my full licence back again, I'm back on the road the last three years, you know, which is good. So getting out, getting out, meeting people and travelling through the mess, and I am. Because with brain injury, isolation and loneliness, you won't get up and do anything. But I knew well I could do it, I knew well I could get out there and better, but how? 
how and I was driving me thinking thinking how 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 and the next the mess was born and I've been all over the country I've been ever and getting more confident as go along go along and getting better with people and see I knew well I could do it but just took a lot of time. Shane has also put a lot of time into making Demess work as a business. But at home, Shane's parents are concerned about what will happen if it doesn't work out. You know, I'm just worried about what you're aiming for. Is it achievable? Like? <coughs> well, I'm not going to stop. Like. No, I'm not asking you to stop. No, no, I'm asking no. you just to... I know, but... Uh, if you could have something... <laughs> I know what you're trying to say, like... <laughs> You see, this is the thing, they're realistic, my parents, and that's a fact, like, they're just realistic, because look, look what they have around there. Well, like, I just Two know. houses and a farm, like, being realistic, like, but me, I'm a dreamer, I like to think big, and so... Well, I suppose, realistically, it should be hard for Shane to keep down a 9-to-5 job, because, you know, physically, you know, he wouldn't be able to, you know, get up every morning for 9 o'clock, because tiredness is a big part of brain injury as well. And, you know, it wouldn't be safe for him to probably be driving to a job at 8 o'clock in the morning where he could be very tired and... Yes, but he's allowed to work 20 hours a week. That's right, yeah. Mm. And Mm. he could do that somewhere, I think. It would be good for him to be able to go somewhere for four hours a day, for three days a cell, and then be concentrating on the mess as well or whatever he wants to do in life. Mm. But you see, Shane, then your hours are so irregular at this, like... I know, but like I, the thing is, I'm mean, much happier doing this. Even though I did go a bit potty over Christmas, but I'm much happier over yeah. doing this. Yeah, you are now at the moment, yeah. yes. But yeah. you'll hit a wall again. But when that wall comes, bring it on, like because I have a system by me that'll bring it back up again. Like. Okay, oh, <laughs> but that's our worries. This is our worries. Like you know, he's thinking that far ahead, and we're thinking of now. What's the difference. Mm. Yeah, anyone out there with a few hours or she? <laughs> 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 uh, sure, ring, yeah, oh wait, seven now. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Back in GTI, Shane takes another question from the audience. Is there anything you think um, somebody could have done to help you before you had the accident to avoid your driving drunk? Or? Uh, no. See, again, that's up to the person. That's up to you to make the right decision, not to do something stupid. It's up to you at the end of the day. No one can force you to do anything. Well, like, everybody makes mistakes and... I was drink, I hate saying it, but I was drink driving nearly every weekend when I got the car. Like, I was only ever on the road for five months. Only ever on the road. I bought the car when I was 17 or something, and I was just 18. Just 18, like, I was out celebrating me 18th, you know, but I had the money, like. And I was at it every, every, every weekend. And it was just my own fault, like. And I realised it was my own fault. It was an absolute Egypt for what I'd done, like. These days, when frustration threatens to get the better of him, Shane takes it out on the punch bag. I'll always be brain injury laws. Keep going out in my life. Because I found a way... It's challenging cognitive difficulties and even though I get angry sometimes, I lose my temper sometimes, boxing does it for me, brings it out, brings me away like, because look, a lad that came from a wheelchair wasn't even able to lift his leg, 
can absolutely nail it now. That couldn't even move his arm. Can absolutely nail the bag now. So I'll just keep going forward with my life, like, because I've nothing to lose. I could be taking on. I could be taking on the box of champions someday. Ali could make a return back to box me. You know. <laughs>